We haven't been on the road for about eight months, so I haven't preached for about eight months. And uh, with our son-in-law with uh, his uh, acute myeloid uh, leukemia, and uh, so we had to take care of two homes. And uh, the report is, thank you for praying. Uh, many of you prayed, and many of you have also written on the uh, Facebook, I've posted uh, reports of how he's doing, so uh, we want to thank you for all the prayers, and uh, it certainly makes a difference, amen? So anyhow, uh, after his stem cell uh, transplant, it's now 100 days since that, and so um, he has a whole new immune system uh, coming back, and uh, so he just went down the other day to, Saint, uh, to Halifax and had his bone marrow test to determine if the leukemia or the cancer is in remission. We don't know yet for two weeks. So that's where we're at at the moment. Keep praying that the report will come back good. Amen. Other than that, Michael is at work. He's working in two hours. He goes down and he goes in the mornings and he's this type of guy that just gets up and goes. So pray for him because he can't get an infection. So he goes down in the morning early and he is nobody there in his office so he's able to work on his own and so forth. So he's trying to get back again till probably four hours a day if he can. So <clears throat> he's not out of the woods yet and we don't know what the report is. So we're still looking to the Lord for a Rafua Shalema. You know what Rafua Shalema is? It's Hebrew. It means for a full recovery. Amen? We're praying for a full recovery. And uh, so thank God for that. My wife asked me to mention to you, we also have, because of this illness, we had a trip planned to Israel this year in May. So we couldn't go because the transplant was at roughly at the same time frame. And so we had to cancel out ourselves. But I was able to get a pastor to take the trip for me. So we didn't have to cancel it. But we do have another one going for next year. And uh, it's uh, April the 30th to May the 11th, 2017. This is the itinerary. And there's some itineraries at the back. If you're interested going with us, take it, have a look at it. And uh, you, can, you can call us, you can write to us. And uh, if you're interested, we'll talk to you on the phone and so forth. You better hurry up because it's filling up quick. We have about 26 already, so we don't want no more than 30. So you need to get on the ball if you want to go, okay? So take one of those at the back if you're really interested. Also have some magazines, Israel My Glory. And if you'd like just to take one of those free home with you. If you're interested in having the magazine, please write to me or email me and... Uh, we'll have you put it on, on for you, and uh, you'll get a free subscription for a year, okay? So the magazines are at the back. If you have your Bible with you, uh, could you turn to the book of Acts? Now, I plan to read this this morning, but it's 27 verses, so <clears throat> I'm uh, hesitant to read all of it because it would be a bit long. So what I'm going to do is just read some and jump down to a few others and try to just do it in a brief way that way. Acts chapter 9. 
And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, that was what they called the Christians at that time, the way. And anyhow, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, which is about 200 miles north, uh, a little bit northeast from Jerusalem, about 200 miles. And suddenly there shined around about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And any time you hear the double name called, it means God wants the attention. It's important. Peter, Peter. Moses, Moses. Abraham, Abraham. You got it right to the scriptures. Double name. Because God wants to say something important. Saul, Saul, why that persecutest thou me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks or against the goads. They would use a long pole with a, a very pointy piece of metal, maybe, or a stake on it. And when they were plowing the field, if the cow didn't want to move, they would prick the back of the legs and make him go. They would goad him to make him go the way they wanted him to go. And so if he didn't want to go, he'd kick back. Can you imagine how sore that would be, kicking back? So anyhow, that's the goad, the idea of that. And he trembling, and he trembling. Notice the words, he trembling. He's shaking in his boots. He's terrified. He's afraid. And anyhow, that's the word. And astonished, and said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand, and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus. Notice that, a disciple. His name was Ananias. There's three Ananiases in the Bible. You can check that out, but this is one of them here. He's a disciple, and he's at Damascus. And, uh, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas where one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. And he hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he had done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call in thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way. He's a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. Question, did you ever wonder why Jesus himself went to meet Saul and not somebody else? Why? Why would Jesus go? 
and meet this guy. Do you ever think about that? Now that's something for you to take home with you, to think about. I know the answer. Not really, but I've thought it through and thought, well, maybe that's why he did it. So I just want to plant that little seed in your mind. Why? Why did he himself go? For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto you in the way, as thy camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And then immediately there fell from his eyes that had been scaled, and he received sight forthwith, and rose and was baptized. You should mark these words, baptized. He was baptized. He was filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples, which were at Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he's the Son of God. And then he goes to Jerusalem. They're going to try and kill him. And then he's go- the Jews want to kill him because of what he's preaching now. And then he's going- he has to flee. And he goes down to Jerusalem. And uh, you can read the rest of the story down to verse 29. So here's my thought this morning, if I can share this with you. And hopefully we can get it running for you here. Auditorium. Can you see that? Can you see that okay, guys, down there? Okay, let's see if I can get it here now. That better? Yeah. You see it now? <laughs> Question. How does God turn a life around anyway in the first place? How does God turn your life around? How does he turn anybody's life around? Let me leave you with five distinct stages about how God turns a life around. It involves Saul of Tarsus. And it involves you and me. Five things. One of the greatest examples of that is found in the book of Acts here, chapter 9, in the account of Saul of Tarsus, who came to know the Lord. But I want to give you five distinct stages. Here's the first stage. Can you read it? Look at chapter 3 in verse 5. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth, and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul of Saul, 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 why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thy Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. hard for thee to kick against the pricks. The first thing before anybody comes to the Lord is confrontation. God will confront you, and he confront me. Somehow, some way, God confronts us. And here you have this man in the text. It is the Lord Jesus himself who confronts Saul. This was no case for a Philip. However faithful he was, Saul was made of different stuff than the Ethiopian eunuch. Nor was it a case for Peter, however zealous he may have been. But Saul of Tarsus was no Cornelius. 
But Jesus himself has to go and undertake this whole business himself to reach this arch persecutor of the church. Jesus himself, the risen Lord now, confronts Saul of Tarsus. I don't know how God confronted you, but I want you to think back in your mind this morning and think back, who was it that came to you and shared the word? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the... Who was it in your life that confronted you? I remember my life. I can remember it distinctly well. But anyhow, God encounters us. It may have been, he may use various means to confront you and me. God may have come, uh, God may have come in a church service when the pastor or elder quoted some scripture or made some statement that reached your heart and convicted you of your sin and need of a savior. Even today, as we're preaching, maybe through the word of God, you will be confronted with the word of God and what you have to do with Jesus. Make him your Savior and Lord. Confrontation. Maybe you were reading the Bible yourself and God spoke to you in a way that he may have confronted you through a traumatic experience or through an accident or a significant loss. For some of us, it might have come through a brother or a sister or a father or a mother or a a grandfather or a grandmother. Sharon, it might have even come through a friend. Sometimes God uses friends. It could have been a stranger. (laughs) God uses various means to confront us, to stop us in our tracks, to think about this whole matter of eternity. I remember very, very clearly how he confronted me. I had a grandfather who prayed for me every single day of the week, and I could hear him praying in his bedroom because when you lived in Belfast, Northern Ireland, the houses were so close together, it was like a melodeon. You could hear everything. And I could hear my grandfather praying. The houses were so small, you had to go upstairs sideways to get up, and you would scrape your nose going up the stairs going to bed. (laughs) But I heard my grandfather every morning, Lord, save John. Lord, save Tommy. Lord, save Margaret. Lord, save Martha, my daughter. Save Irene, my daughter. And he went through the whole list. indelibly marked in this mind is a man on his knees praying. The faithful praying of a righteous man availeth much. I remember John when I started work as an apprentice. There was about seven apprentices working for standard telephones. We worked for building telephones. And uh, I took on an apprenticeship at 16. And anyhow, they sent us to night school for eight hours so we can get our London, uh, London Girls of Institute for Engineering. So we went for eight years at night, twice a week. 
And anyhow, I went for eight years, and I went with these seven guys. We'd all meet together and go down to the uh, college where we did all the uh, <coughs> studying. And as we were going down on the bus, I remember a big fella called Joe Woods. Joe Woods used to speak to me on the bus about the Lord Jesus. And what Joe was doing was he was confronting me with the gospel. And God was using him to touch my life. He used my grandfather. He used Joe Woods. Joe Woods became a policeman in Ireland. He's now retired. I've been on, I've been on Skype with him after all of these years, 45 years. He's still going on with the Lord. And anyway, you know where he goes to church? My brother's church, believe it or not. It's wonderful. Anyway, Joe was faithful to God. Faithfully sharing the word with me every time I went down. And of course I would push it out of the road. Little did I know how much was getting in. Every time. You ever think about that? Who was it that touched your life? Confronted you? And then I got hurt playing soccer. Which was I was going on to be a professional. And I was doing semi-professional soccer at the time. And I got an injury on my leg nearly lost my leg. I was in hospital. Because sometimes God might speak to you through an accident. And here I'm lying on my back can, and I'm just lying in the hospital, and I'm waiting for an operation to possibly remove the leg. But thank God they didn't have to do it. Amen? I'm so grateful for that. But I'll tell you what happened. A man walked in the door with a little collar back to front and a little, little coat on. And he pulled up a chair. Excuse me, can I get down here? If I get down, I might not get back up. He may, if he can help me up. Anyhow, he pulled up a chair. Chelsea, move that away and I'll sit down beside you. So he, he pulled up a chair and he, am I embarrassing you, love? I don't mean to embarrass you. But he pulled up the chair and he says, are you John McKim? I said, yes, sir. He was a stranger. I never met him in my life before. I didn't know his name. All I knew was that he was supposed to be a minister. He's got a collar back the front on. And he said, John, do you know Betty McKeown? I said, that's my Aunt Betty. She's a believer. I said, that's my Aunt Betty. He says, your Aunt Betty has asked us in our prayer meeting to pray for you. And we've been praying every week for you. He says, now I'm putting faith on the legs of Betty and I'm coming to share with you the gospel. You need to get saved. John, you know what it's like in Ireland. Point blank, boom, you need to get saved. That's what they're like. <clears throat> well, some people might call it buttonholing, but you know what? It works. I get saved. There and then I get saved. The puny arms of rebellion, Gabriel, are down. Ah, no more fighting. I knew it was time. And I got down and got out, pulled myself out of that bed and got down on my knees and prayed and asked the Lord Jesus to save me, to forgive me for my sins. Forty-five years ago. Confrontation. Some of us just need that little push, you know. Or we'll stay back all our life. Thank God for the people who are bold enough 
and brave enough to share the message. Amen? Encourage you by that. Guess what? Three months later, knock on my door. I opened it up. Guess who's there? The guy with the white collar. Can I come in? Yep. Is your wife in? Yep. Led my wife to the Lord, right in her own living room. You talking about a worker for God? That was him. Confrontation. And my wife's gone on with the Lord for 45 years, too. Just because somebody took the time and cared about our souls. Your confrontation may not be as dramatic as Saul's. Nevertheless, God confronts us with an all or nothing proposition. We can follow his way or not at all. He accepts no half-hearted commitments. Because there is always a conflict of will when a person becomes a Christian. Christianity is an exchange of what? Of wills. Not my will, but thy will be done. We heard it this morning. The will of God. Amen? That's what it is when you come to know the Lord. It's an exchange of wills. It's your will for God's will. I think that's a wonderful thing. You might be able to look back at confrontation led you to your salvation. I just planted that in your mind this morning. To think back who was involved in your life. Here's the second thing. <clears throat> Conviction. Saul of Tarsus began kicking against the pricks, as we just read. You see, he had been wrong. He was guilty. He was wrong. The people he was persecuting were right. And it had to take Jesus in his resurrection power to show it to him. That's why he went to meet this man. This man had a gigantic mind. This man was brilliant in many, many facets of Judaism. He knew the Old Testament inside and outside. And that's why Jesus went to him. Because he had a purpose for him. If this man had such a passion like that and going and persecuting and trying to wipe out Christianity, then if I can turn that around for Christianity... Oh, what a change. If I can get a man with passion like that, I can send him to the four corners of the earth. And Saul was the man to go, not to Jerusalem, not to Judea, not to Samaria, but where? To the Gentiles, to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's why Jesus conquered him. That's why Jesus captured him. So he had a purpose for him. To send him to the Gentiles. To send him to kings. To send him to the Jews. He was touching everybody. This guy. You read his epistles. You can see it. It's tremendous. <clears throat> I 
You've now seen the risen Lord. Friend, listen, he's no excuse now. The truth is right in front of his face. He was wrong. He was guilty. And he knew it. And then it says, in verse 4, and Jesus asked him, Why are you persecuting me? Do you know what he didn't say? Why are you persecuting them? <laughs> he didn't say that. Who was the them? Go back to verse 1. See what it says? And Saul breathing out threatenings and slaughter against who? The disciples of the Lord. That's who he was after. But Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? I love this. You know why? He's just so much part of us. That's why. He's the head and you are the members of his body. Amen? Amen. And Paul never forgot that. He writes that in his epistles. This was indelibly marked on his mind. That Jesus is connected with the believer. The vine to the branches. The bride to the bridegroom. You cannot sever us. What can separate us from that whole situation we heard this morning? Nothing can separate you from that. Not even death itself. Glory to God. Don't get excited about it. It's okay. Lovely. I'm afraid of slipping here. You need to move that over to the middle more and I can escape. <laughs> Paul never forgot that. He wrote in his epistles about Christ being the head of the body. And you're complete in him. What a wonderful truth about the church. He's the cornerstone and you're the living stones in the building cemented together with the Holy Spirit of God. What a habitation of God we are. Hallelujah. And then it says this in verse 5. He says, who art thy Lord? And Jesus said this, I am Jesus. Turn to Genesis 45. Genesis 45. Keep your finger next now. Uh, what time are you going to finish here? I'm here for the duration. You better tell me. When I'm done. <laughs> Notice verse 1, Genesis 45. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all that stood by him, and he cried, Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his what? Brethren. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. Notice verse 3. And Joseph said unto his brethren, what's the next three words? I am Joseph. Just like the way Jesus said to Saul. I am Jesus. Can you think how horrified Joseph's brethren were? Do you think, can you see them trembling before him? Hey, our father's gone now. What's he going to do with us now? You see, they're guilty and they're wrong. 
And they know it. Joseph took all that time to bring it out of them. So that they could acknowledge their wrongness. So they could acknowledge their guiltiness. He wanted to draw it out and hear it from their very lips. That's exactly what Jesus is doing with Saul. He's faced with the truth, Ken. He's faced with the resurrected Christ. Now he realizes who he has been persecuting all along. I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Put yourself in Saul's sandals. Can you see the horror on his face as he realizes whom he's standing before? He's terrified as he's faced Hank with the truth. And so it was with Joseph's brothers. I am Joseph. Saul is now lying on the ground. He suddenly he realizes how wrong he's been. He's convicted and he's been kicking against the pricks. He's humble beyond measure, filled remorse with remorse. He's contrite, he's repentant, and yet inspired by a strange mixture of wonder, hope, and fear. He's trembling. He's terrified before the Son of God, the Messiah of Israel, the Son of David. And he's looking and, and he's thinking, he is who he really is. And I've been persecuting him all along. He's come to save us and I'm running around persecuting him. And I'm holding the clothes of Stephen, the first martyr. And I'm gloating in all of this. And I have all my mates and all the Sanhedrin patting me in the back and everything. You're all right, you're our man, Paul. You know what he was? A present day terrorist. That's what he was. If you didn't believe in his Judaism, then you got it between the head. That's what you're hearing today, isn't it? Christians, their heads been cut off in the name of Jesus. You don't agree with our system? What a system. Conviction. Many churches have prison ministries that are highly successful because the inmates are painfully aware of their guilt and their need for forgiveness. That's why it works. When God confronts you and the Spirit of God convicts you, my friend, listen to his promptings because he's drawing you with the cords of love to himself. Conviction. We may have, you might have a harmful habit. You might have a harmful habit. I don't know your life. You cannot break it. Maybe it's a temptation you cannot resist. And oh my goodness, is there ever so much now on the internet? We need to take all of that garbage stuff and we need to bring it to the cross. And we need to deal with it. Do you see if you don't? As a Christian, do you see if you don't? You'll never advance in God. Never. You'll never be used of God. Never. God uses vessels who are clean. Conviction, 
is always a low point. It comes when people realize what they are. They are individuals who have defied God and they're enemies of the maker of the universe. Did you know you're an enemy of the Lord? The scriptures say that. Listen, conviction can be good too. Conviction is ultimately a good thing because it shows us our need for change and to look to God for help and it brings us to a point where there's nowhere to go but up. That's what conviction does. It brings you face to face like Saul did with who Jesus really is. The truth. We're talking about distinctive stages, how God can turn a life around. He does it through confrontation. He does it through conviction. And uh, the question is, have you been conformed? Have you been confronted? Sorry. Have you been convicted? Maybe you're a sin friend. Listen, it's time to make a step. It's a time to trust the Lord. He's trying to draw you to himself. He's using these people whether they're friends or, or strangers or moms and dads, he's using all of the whole program to draw you to himself. This meeting he's using to draw you to himself. You're not there yet. But anyhow, if you sense that and confrontation and then conviction, if you sense it all, then it comes the conversion. I like that. I like that. Now there's two glasses here. Which one is yours? Have a guess. Okay, thank you. Conversion. Conversion is a complete change from one thing to another. Perhaps you've seen a residence converted into a retail store. Perhaps you've seen a vase or a vase converted into a lamp. Perhaps you've seen a garage or a garage converted into an office or a den. Or what about a railway car converted into a diner? That's conversion, to change from one thing to another. It's a transformation from one kind of being to another, such as a dramatic change that takes place when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. That's what we call metamorphosis. It's a change of form. God has to change you, can, and he has to change me, or you and I wouldn't get into heaven in the bodies that we are in. We shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. That's to come. Today he's redeemed your spirit. Today he's redeemed your soul. But one day he's going to deal with the body. So that spirit, soul, and body will com be completely transformed into a new creation in Christ Jesus. You're going to be a butterfly. Hallelujah. What a change. And it says, it must happen. This corruptible must put on incorruption. That's the definite article, isn't it? This mortal must put on immortality. Your body now wouldn't be suitable for heaven. It wouldn't be suitable. 
you wouldn't get in. You have to have the change. And it starts through the conversion process, doesn't it? That's excellent. Conversion from a self-ruled sinner now to a spirit-filled Christian happens when a person faces a confrontation with God and is moved by conviction to yield to God's Spirit, and then this wonderful transformation takes place. It's a change from earthbound life rule, an earthbound life ruled by worldly appetites, to a soaring life filled with joy and beauty in the Lord. It's a transformation. It's a change from self-absorption to outflowing love. It's a change from it's all about me till it's all about God in my life. It's an exchange of the will. <clears throat> now, I need to go quickly because I've taken a lot of your time. It's ten past. I got ten more points. Can you endure that? Is it okay? <laughs> no, we'll not put you through that. But I want to show you this. And I'll do this quickly and then we'll be concluded. This is what Ray Pritchard says, and I think you should write it down. Take it home with you and think about it. Especially this part down here. You don't have to stay the way you are. Your life can be radically changed by God. That's what true Christianity is all about. If you've never been changed, friend, you haven't got life, spiritual life. If there's no change, forget it. There's got to be fruit comes from a transformed life. If you're living in the same situation the way you were before, it hasn't taken place yet. You cannot be the same. Never. God changes you from the inside to the outside. That's true conversion. That's when a person totally repents. He's real. He's not plastic. He's real. He wants his life. I nearly slept, didn't I, John? You nearly caught me there. I saw you going for me, huh? Good. Christianity's religion, supreme religion, conversion, built upon one fund fundamental and revolutionary promise. You don't have to stay the way you are. Thank God for that. Amen. I'm not the old John McKim I used to be. You ask my wife. I hope she tells you that, by the way. When I got saved, I was practically an alcoholic. When I was in that hospital bed, I had, I had beer stuck underneath the bed in the hospital ward because all my buddies brought it in. And when they came down and I got converted, when they all come down in, about 10 of them, I says, guys, you know what? Take the beer away. I don't need it anymore. And you know what? I didn't see them anymore either. It's true. And when I came home, and when my children, I came home from work, or I was out in a binge somewhere drinking, my kids run away from me. They didn't want to come near their dad. Dorothy wanted to leave me a number of times. Thank God she didn't. And that's the grace of God, by the way. 
We're now married 50 years by the grace of God. See, God changes things. He changes things. And when I come home, she told some of my family members and some of the neighbors, God's brought me home a new man. Hallelujah. Isn't that nice? And that's 45 years ago. 50 years married now. And God has kept us together. Thank God for that. I got to finish, don't I? It then leads to, quickly, last two points. It leads to consecration. Now that I know who you are, I want, to direct, I want you to direct me. What would you want? Have me to? That's consecration. And maybe you haven't come to that place in your Christian life to say that to the Lord. I'm not here to push that at you either. I'm just saying, there may come a time in your life like my life was, and God was prompting me to go to Bible school, and, I, and he was prompting me so much, I knew he wanted me to go. And I left my good, prestigious job in Toronto at McDonnell Douglas Aircraft, and I said, okay, Lord, I'm ready to go. There may come a time in your Christian life where God brings you to this point. Maybe he wants you to go to a mission field. Maybe he wants you to come into full-time service for him. I don't know what God has for your life and the will of God is for your life. But maybe he'll put his hand on you and bring you to this place of consecration. Consecration has to do with service. And you can serve him in the workplace. You can serve him as a mother in the home. And you could be consecrated to God, Sharon. Absolutely. My wife's consecrated to the Lord. I know she is. She's in the book every day. She's on her knees every day, every morning reading devotionals. She loves the Lord. She walks with God. She wants to hear the voice of God. You can do that in the home. Be a good mother. Be a, an example to your children and your grandchildren. And they see Christ in you. Yes, there's a consecrated life. That's important. That's important. Don't you sing this hymn? Listen, don't you sing this hymn? You not sing that? There, there it is. What does it say? Come on. Read it. And your will be lost in mine. <laughs> See, that's where Jesus was. Not my will. Father, what's your will? Consecrate me now. By the power of grace divine, I'm a soul of God with a steadfast hope, and my will be lost in thine. The idea to consecrate is to consecrate oneself to do God's will. Once we have encountered Christ, the only rational response is to fall down and ask, Lord, what do you really want me to do? I'm your servant. Number five, aren't you glad I'm hitting that one? Now, something you might not have noticed, 
there's a whole lot of things in the text that I sit in the other day and I said, I've never seen that before. Never seen that before. Never seen that before. Let me point out a few things. Do you remember it says the Lord called the disciple Ananias? Do you remember that? And the first thing, the first thing when Saul opened his eyes, the first thing he felt was, excuse me, getting down here. Do you mind? Do you, I better not do it with a lady. I'll do it over here. <laughs> the first thing, John, that Saul of Tarsus, the arch persecutor, what happened to him after his eyes were opened? He felt a Christian's hand for the first time on his shoulders. Are you okay? <laughs> for the very first time. And then Ananias said in the text, The Lord has sent me. Please, he didn't send a prophet. He didn't send an evangelist. He never even sent a pastor. He never even sent an elder. He never even sent a deacon. He sent just an ordinary man to go to Saul of Tarsus. Whoa, excuse me for shouting at you. He sent Ananias, an ordinary man. You know, listen to me, listen. God uses people, ordinary people. He uses people like you and me who are willing to do what he commands. Right? I'm getting dry. My throat's getting dry. He does use the prophet. He does use the evangelist. He does use the pastors. He does use the elders. He does use the deacons. But he uses ordinary people and don't forget that. Just people like you and me. Just flesh and blood. In the workplace. Wherever it may be. In the school. In the college. In, in other, whatever places you are. God uses people. Joe Woods, the guy that became a cop. The wee preacher man who came to me, he used him. He uses my brother, who was also involved in alcoholism, and who was also involved in a lot of stuff in Ireland with the problems in Ireland. And God converted him and changed him, and now people are getting saved under him. Just an ordinary guy. Just guys like this. Hank. So he put his hands on him for the very first time, and then it says, He has sent me. Just a disciple. And then we read this. You notice these words? These are precious words. For the very first time time Saul hears the word brother. That's precious. See, that's communion. That's fellowship. That's fellowship. The word communion is the root word from fellowship, koinonia. Koinonia, the root word for koinonia is koinios. Koinios means this. Koinios means this common. A common faith. A common fellowship. A common family. 
There's a commonality about Christianity. We have all things in common. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now he's one of them. Now he's in. First time he hears brother Saul. Then the disciples weren't sure about him. <laughs> and then eventually they started to embrace him because he went out and he started preaching. Oh dear. My wife's going to kill me for going over time. Brother Saul. He's in the Mishkapah Elohim. The Mishkapah Elohim in Hebrew means the family of God. He's now in the family. The persecutor now becomes a preacher. The sinner becomes a saint. He's converted. He's consecrated. And he's now brought into the fellowship. And then he's what? Come on, tell me. He's baptized, isn't he? Do you know what it was for a Jewish person to be baptized? Do you understand what it means? For a man to come out and go down into the water in identification with the Lord Jesus and come up again in resurrection to the nearness of life. Do you know what that is? That's total excommunication from family and from friends for Saul of Tarsus. You can see it. The ones that he used to, he used to go and, and tell about these Christians, now they're turning around and want to kill him. Because he's come right out, publicly, publicly, and telling them, I believe in Jesus. Totally excommunicated. Ostracized. No more dealings with businessmen in the Jewish community. No more business in the synagogue. All gone. And then lastly, i got to close with this. Verse 20, it says, He preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the what? That's proof positive he's saved. That is proof positive that he's saved. Do you know why? A Jewish person does not acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God. He does not acknowledge a triunity of the Godhead. And for him to come out now and preach Christ, that means he's preaching a triunity now. He's changed, you see. The truth has turned him around. <laughs> now he's preaching Christ, the Son of God. Friend, listen, all that he had learned in his home, all that he had been taught from childhood, everything he heard in the synagogue, everything he heard in the shivas or the school of learning and theology and Judaism, all of that under probably Gamaliel, the leader, all of that and the belief of the Shema, the one true God of Israel, he's turned his back now and he's preaching Christ, the Son of God. Hallelujah. What a change, David. You've got to have a change like that. That's the change that Jewish people need. All they've got is religiosity. They need the power of God in their lives. They need Jesus in their life. That he's the son of the Messiah of Israel. That he's the son of David. That he is the son of God. 
And when he started preaching this, then the Jews wanted to kill him. No wonder. And then they bring him down to Jerusalem. That's the mother church, by the way. That's the mother church. That's where all the apostles are. <laughs> and even they didn't believe that he was changed. And guess who comes along? Barnabas, son of encouragement. And he comes along, he says, hey guys, listen. This man has changed. What Jew preaches Jesus the Son of God in the synagogues? Come on. What Jews get baptized and identifies with the Messiah in death and burial and resurrection? Come on. This man has changed. You've got to embrace him. You've got to say, Brother Saul. That's what you need to say. Family of God. We've been brought in. Ananias embraced him. The Damascus Christians embraced him. And now the church in Jerusalem, the mother church now, embracing him, embraces him. I know what it says next. And then the churches had peace in Samaria, Judea, and so forth in all the provinces. Because the big guy got saved. What a wonderful conversion. You've been brought into the family of God. When I come here in Sunday mornings, I sense the brotherhood and the sisterhood. You embrace it, you can feel it. This is God's family. And when I come here, believe me, when I come here, I feel I'm home among God's people. Thank you for having Dorothy and I and calling us brother and sister McKim. I love it. Amen? Amen. Now you want to stand and we'll have a wee word of prayer and then we'll be dismissed. I'm sorry for keeping you so long. I thought that was important. How God turns a life around. Confrontation. Conviction. Conversion. Consecration. And then, thank God, the communion of the saints. Amen? Brother Saul has come in. And you've come in too. And when we feel with each other in the family, do we not, Gabriel? We weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. Just got graduated. Little Fola and a few others, all graduated. We rejoice with them. We sorrow with him because we are, have a commonality of fellowship in the church. That's what it's all about. Clyde, close for us, will you?